Hi, Fresh SLPs. So glad you are listening to this podcast series. It has been so much fun listening to school-based SLPs talk about what wakes them up in the morning and gets them going in our field. This next episode, we're going to be talking with Jill Rentmeester-Disher, and she has the unique position of being a manager of SLPs in a very large public school system. So, Jill Rentmeester-Disher, Dr. Rentmeester-Disher, is a manager of SLP services in the public schools, and she has had the privilege and honor of cultivating genius in 110 SLPs, who in turn cultivate genius in their students. Jill leads and partners with SLPs to implement equity-based, evidence-based practice in birth to 21 settings where our SLPs believe that educational evaluations and services should not be predicted by a student's race. The status quo must be challenged to ensure all learners achieve their greatest potential. Relationships with other students and their families must be prioritized and identity joy must be centered. When not managing, Jill has taught courses in higher education institutions and is actively involved in speech-language pathology advocacy issues at the state level. As a hands-on manager, Jill jumps into birth through 21 caseload when needed and continues to benefit from the joy of serving students and their families. Outside of this role, Jill spends time with her, with her brave and kind daughter, educator husband, and snuggly boxer tipper. So welcome to this episode of a day in the life of a school-based SLP. Welcome back everyone uh, to a day in the life of the school-based SLP. We have a special guest with us today. Her name is Dr. Jill Rentmeester-Disher. Dr. Rentmeester-Disher, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad you made it. Uh, We are both in Minnesota and so when I comment on being so glad you made it. Today was a hectic, crazy, snowy day. So we're glad that you're here uh, and joining us. Yes, embracing winter together. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, So I'm really interested to learn about your story. And I think the best place to start is at the beginning. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey? that led you to becoming a school-based SLP? Oh, yeah. So the journey began probably soon after high school and in that year between high school and in college. And I knew I was very much interested in special education. But what area of that was something that I knew that would evolve in college. And so in that very first year, like so many of us, the introduction to communication disorders just um, was a spark in, in every way, shape, or form. I remember just knowing at that point, this is the area of special education. And I do feel very early on, I was always an educator from the start, although in in the introduction to communication disorders and all through undergrad and grad and PhD program, of course, I I love the clinic side of this field and the medical field, but I have always deeply identified as an educator. From way back in freshman year 
introduction to communication disorders and all throughout. And I think educator versus speech language pathology is such a very fine line of difference for me. Interesting. So when I think about you, you have a really unique role and uh, we're all looking forward to hearing more about that. Could you talk a bit more about your specific setting and your specific uh, position, your current role in the schools? Yeah. So uh, in the schools, I am a manager of speech language pathology, a type of supervisor uh, within the special education department in my district. And in, I would consider my district maybe a, a mid-sized urban district, about 35,000, 30 to 35,000 students, a very diverse community. So in my role in the district, I supervise in any given year about 110 speech-language pathologists, about 15 special education interpreters. And then in terms of my roles and responsibility, in addition to supervising those two groups of wonderful professionals, then um, other roles and responsibilities relate to special education in general. So um, initiatives and policies and um, innovation, inclusion, and the role of this, the SLP in, in school life and, wow. and planning with other special education managers and directors about how we all come together as different types of educators, whether it's therapists or teachers, um, to support students and, and helping them become who they wish to be. That's wonderful. So could I pick your brain a little bit about uh, your pursuit of your doctorate? I am curious to know what inspired you to continue your education. Was that a requirement for the role that you're currently in? Could you talk a little bit more about that? In general, uh, as a manager in my mid-size district, a PhD is not required, but historically has been a degree that folks have carried. And so when I was considering going back um, to get my PhD, it certainly was always something that I was interested in, meaning that I always loved the idea of using a PhD within a school district, within a K-12 institution. So that to me was just implementation science at its best. And in putting theory into action and partnering with all of the stakeholders that I loved as a clinician. So it going back um, to get my PhD, I was so I was so lucky at the University of Minnesota. There was such a wonderful group of faculty um, there at the time, and some of them are still there, and they were instrumental in in helping me carve a path that 
I wanted to be on. Because in a PhD program, um, you, you do need to find your path and find your passion. And there's so much independent work in the PhD program to be who you wish to be. Um, and so I, I had really wonderful advisors that recognized that I love the idea of implementation science in a K-12 setting. Although I, although a university setting w- was, would be wonderful too. I mean, there, that was also a, clearly a path for many people. It just, I did want to think about implementation science with practitioners. I think what's interesting when you talk about implementation science is that we sometimes back into those really meaty questions that we want to look at and focus on only after we've had some time in uh, practice. And Mm -hmm. were there any burning questions for you that that you felt like you you had to look at or you had to answer? Like, were there, were there questions that were primary drivers for you in pursuing this degree? Early on, yes. And, and then midway through, those changed. And at the end of the PhD program, they evolved <laughs> further. So I think in, in stages, there were always driving questions that made me curious. So early on, what initially made me curious was serving a a very diverse caseload and having the opportunity at the University of Minnesota to dive deep into that. At that time, Dr. Kathy Conart was there. And if you know her, she's just so energetic and, and, and brilliant and deeply connected to the communities that she served as a speech pathologist and that were part of um, the aim of her research. And so that energy and that curiosity that she had for bilingual learners Early on, that is definitely what brought me to the University of Minnesota because I was serving a multilingual population and I loved every bit of it. And so I I wanted to know what are the, what are effective assessment and intervention methods for a diverse caseload? And, And so that's how it started off and being part of that wonderful research lab. And then you know, the PhD program, it kinds of twists and turns and then other things pop up in life. And and then I got more curious about, okay, how do do assessment and interventions methods for multilingual learners, how do they show up on caseloads in large K-12 settings? And how do we support practitioners in implementing practices that we know are evidence-based, but that may need some coaching and support? And what systems do we create in K-12 to make sure that tools and resources 
for assessment intervention for multilingual learners are accessible by all the practitioners and the coaching is available to make that um, work out really well for students and their caregivers. So that kind of morphed. And then at the end of the PhD program, <laughs> you know, this is this is just how it it goes. It twists and turns. I it twists and turns, at least it twisted and turned for me. Then um, I was at the end more interested in professional growth of practitioners and then how to support professional growth across all practices, not just practice sources for assessment and intervention for multilingual learners, which brought me to the University of Minnesota, but um, professional growth practices across all of the roles and responsibilities that we carried and how that showed up was developing performance evaluation a performance evaluation system for school-based SLPs. And that was my dissertation. So that Amazing. Wow. really was like twists and turns throughout. Yeah. So we ended and it was a really beautiful way to end um, the PhD program. And every, every day, every day, like just even today, and, and as I'm, I'm at work supporting folks that I support, I strongly believe that when we support professional growth of practitioners, we support growth of students and their caregivers. And so that logic chain is still, it, it developed in my PhD program, but it's still very present on a daily basis. We support professional growth of practitioners and in turn, we support the growth of students and for our youngest learners, their caregivers. So what's interesting about that is I do know at the present time, though, in addition to all of those system level supports and the support of uh, practitioners and those managerial responsibilities that you have, I know that right now you're still also doing therapy with students as a portion of your job, which is maybe kind of mind-blowing to some of our listeners that you're doing both and. I think historically, at least from my experience, when somebody's in an administrative or a supervisory position, they oftentimes are disconnected from the practice. Could you talk a little bit about still practicing and managing? how you balance some of those things. Uh, let's get into that a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, during COVID times, this has been a, a, also a journey that has twisted and turned in many directions because during COVID and, and now the great resignation and other factors that impact staffing. And staffing is the number one barrier from my perspective to innovation and so staffing it, we really deeply need to think about how best to come up with short-term mid-term and long-term solutions what happens now for supervisors and managers and directors and other uh, just that level 
uh, of, of managers in any organization is that you do become a short-term solution for staffing at many times during the past few years and, and currently um, because we need to cover services. And so this year I have covered services two days a week and then the other three days I, I manage. And, and that does leave to man, lead to managing on weekends and nights. So anytime you do cover caseload on top of managing, you, you do risk some work-life balance. And so you do have to work very hard to um, address that. That's a risk, but the positive and benefits of carrying caseload and managing at the same time is that you always have the opportunity for your own reality checks on the systems that you aim to create or that you have created for individuals. You then get the reality check of do these systems actually work for the caseload that I'm responsible for? <laughs> And so you get these wonderful checks and balances on tools and resources because creating tools and resources at the systems level is a big role of a manager. So when you carry caseload, you get to see in real time systems at work and tools and resources at work. So I, I love that piece of it. And I love the, the iteration process that goes with that, so the process that this tool and resource actually can greatly be improved upon because it, it doesn't actually work as well as planned. Um, and carrying caseload, I get the opportunity to partner with the other SLPs in the building and the teachers, of course, and the assistants. So that also brings a lot of joy to a manager. So while the biggest risk is work-life balance can, can be tricky when you cover caseload and manage, um, the benefits are, are wonderful. And um, this year I cover caseload every Tuesday and Wednesday, and, um, and I look forward to it. Now, when I'm at seven o'clock in the morning, there is, I won't lie. I look at my to-do list, my manager to-do list, and I think, well, I'll get none of this done today because <laughs> today I must focus on this caseload and I must be present for these students. And if I'm working with little kids, they're caregivers and they must be present. And I cannot, when I'm covering caseload, cannot come up with any excuse that Jill is not at her best because I'm a manager and this is just a side gig. I have to be oh. fully present, just like any SLP would be fully present for their caseload. So I think my experience is not unusual during this time of multiple roles. I think your experience of actively practicing while managing is somewhat unique and and from the perspective of someone who has only carried a caseload and who has not managed i would be delighted if individuals who created systems 
and tools and expectations had that rooted in an actual caseload experience. So when I'm hearing you you talking, mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, that would be wonderful if every person who's managing or supervising could contextualize the, the ask, the expectation, the tools with the realities of that day-to-day workflow. So I heard you say that the joy, of course, is working with students and caregivers and teams. Mm -hmm. The challenge is work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you anticipate it being like this for a while? Do you think that balance will come? Uh, Are you just living in the present? You know, in the past few years, when you're when you're pairing those multiple roles, I've had to do more, I would say, self-care. I have needed to pick up more books or listen to more blogs or tune in to podcasts um, that focus on self-care and balance um, because I I want to, you want to do your best in both roles, but you know that there are limited resources. So do I think it's going to get better? I, I don't know, Katie, there are times where there are times where I think, um, Midterm and short-term staffing solutions are going to take a bit, mm-hmm. um, whether it's medical or the education field. There are only so many graduates a year because there are really big requirements that have to be met for graduation. Um, there aren't a plethora of SPLA programs, although those are starting. The needs are really great because of COVID. And so I do think we're going to be here for a little while. And I guess I like to prepare for it. So um, so that's what I'm, I work on is balance um, and, and finding things that um, help me achieve that. And yeah, there all kinds of resources. Um, I don't know if I have a particular one, but the, the I guess in some, I think that there will be staffing challenges for a while mm. and that um, due to that, we have to think about system changes, short, mid and long-term solutions to staffing. And, and just making sure that we have the people, not only in schools, but in medical clinics as well, and in medical institutions um, that are also really suffering from staffing challenges right now. So, so many of us are in the same boat. Right. So, yeah. and so, you know, there, when we think of mid, mid, short, mid, and long term thinking with that, it's not just manpower and person power um, 
I should say person power. It's, it's also thinking about service models, evidence-based practices, how those are implemented to help us handle some days of higher caseloads. So when we don't find the people that we need, what other tools and resources can we do to manage what is now a bit higher caseload than we've had in the past? And I don't think we're unusual um, in the schools in that way. I think medical clinics have some really big numbers too. So when I'm thinking about our listeners, I'm thinking about folks who are maybe in graduate school, folks who are thinking about maybe a career change. Um, If you had a piece of advice for individuals looking at working in the schools, what would you most want them to know? The schools are full of joy and meaning. There isn't one minute. Um, Yeah. You know, just even thinking about, like when people ask me that, it actually, it does, it makes me emotional because I think like every minute in a school is just a really beautiful minute. So that's one thing um, that listeners should know. The, The day that you, the moment that you walk in and, The moment you walk out all day, you have the opportunity to build connections with young learners. And that is such a beautiful gift. That day will be, it will be very diverse because in the schools, we serve whatever the needs are for that particular school. And that often means wonderful ability diversity, wonderful areas of all the identity diversity. And so um, that is Mm joy-filled. That is joy-filled. And then in terms of, so that's your heart. The heart, your heart in schools really benefits from identity joy. All the different identities that we have in schools just makes your heart sing. And in terms of practices, it's a busy day. It's a busy day filled with one-on-one service, filled with small group service, filled with push-in service, pull-out service, caregiver service, coaching service with assistance, collaboration service. It's filled with all these different services that also bring an incredible amount of joy. But in order to pull it off successfully, you do need to have a good backpack of evidence-based practices. Mm-hmm. And you kind of need to hone in on those practices that are big levers and then sort of let go of some of the practices that may not be as big of levers. And so uh, when we're working with new SLPs in, in my district, we think deeply about those big levers in categories of skills that we tend to serve. So what are the big levers for language literacy intervention? And how do we make sure that people have 
tools and resources for those big levers. When it comes to speech sound disorders, what are some big levers? Do we have the tools, the resources, and the coaching for it? And then for fluency, because that is a lower frequency dis uh, disorder impairment in general, do we have tools and resources and some expert coaching in that area? So um, that's part of being in schools is thinking about, you know, you're going to have a really awesome diverse caseload um, and you want to have in your backpack those certain evidence-based practices that are going to be efficient for you and effective. And that's kind of fun in this field right now because there's just a lot of great information that can be gathered. And I think distance learning the past few years, there's been even a further explosion of materials and resources. And a lot of them are really nice evidence-based resources that people can now easily access um, to prepare for diverse caseloads in schools. Wow. I, I mean, Jill, the time flew by. I, uh, I can't believe it, but we're almost out of time. I, I really do want to thank you so much for the conversation. I want to thank you for talking to us about meaning and joy and balance. Is there anything that we neglected to mention? Any, any parting words or thoughts or takeaways that you want us to be thinking about as we wrap up? I think like anytime we have the opportunity to, to talk speech and language, you know, my heart always goes towards connection, you know, connection. And that is the beautiful thing about this job. It's the connection with staff as a manager that I love. It's connection with students and their caregivers that I love when I carry caseload and what therapists love who carry caseload every day. It's the connection to something that we believe in. So I identify strongly as an educator. So to serve within public education just connects me to a core value. That connection is also present. And within that equity, the connection and the values towards equity and so that's kind of what's going through my mind right now as we talk about speech pathology is just my heart is thinking about all the connections every day that bring meaning and joy. You know, mm -hmm. connection to me is always the first step and it's never wasted time. And that's mm -hmm. been a through line through this whole series is that connection is always the first step and it's never wasted time. No. Oh. Well, and if thank you, you. thank you, thank you, we appreciate you right back at you. Appreciate you, appreciate putting this space out there to talk about these awesome issues and just the ability to think about these in a podcast um, and, and to listen and be inspired. And I'm not saying about me, I'm just I'm saying about your guests. It's <laughs> I don't want to listen to me and be inspired. Um, but I love this idea that you guys thought of. I mean, it's just awesome. 
Yeah. Thanks. Hi, Fresh SLPs. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Because I am not school-based, Jill's perspective and the discussion she had with Katie was something I could have only dreamed about of listening in on. It is so interesting pulling these guests on and getting their perspective of what it's like to work wherever we are working in our field. And Jill adds the valuable perspective of being a manager in a large public school system. She talked about the challenges, the joys, the rewards, how she balances what she's required to do um, and all of those things. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. We are working on this series. We're working on this podcast to answer your questions as you navigate your career. So come check us out at freshslp.com reach back to us on Facebook or email us and let us know what your questions are and we will tailor podcast episodes in the future for you. As always, like us, subscribe, follow. Our following is growing. We are closing in on 75,000 downloads around the world. Pretty exciting. This is episode 126 and we are doing nothing but growing, growing, growing. So thanks for being part of the Fresh SLP family and have a great day.